From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. And here we are rocketed on the Automotive ADHD Show. It is heard around the world as a podcast here in Southern Colorado on the radio. Matt West here hanging out with you, talking cars loaded show for you today. I'm going to talk about Ford's CEO. He decided to take an F-150 Lightning for a test drive and do a little bit of an extended road trip, and he was not satisfied with the charging network. Uh, Something owners, by the way, have been complaining about for a while. I I don't know. I think um, more uh, car CEOs should perhaps drive the cars that they're selling. Imagine that, right? Uh, so we're going to touch on that. I also had a personal experience with an F-150 Lightning recently, and um, I don't know, I might have to turn my keys in as the host of this show because I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you my full thoughts on that. And we're going to talk about the new Toyota Land Cruiser. They announced this uh, several weeks ago, but but I want to give you my take on it, my opinion that, as you already know, listeners of the show know my opinion, which is that Toyota can do no wrong. And this just proves it. So we're going to get to that. We're going to get to your car sounds as well, perhaps even announcing a winner for those car sounds. Uh, Maybe maybe more than one winner. So, hey, you're going to have to you're going to have to stay tuned. We're going to do that in the third half of the show. Now, before we get to um, any of that, I need to give you a personal update on my AMC Hornet. Yeah, yeah. If you recall, listeners uh, of this show may recall uh, a few months ago, my Hornet was stolen in the dead of the night. Um, it was uh, it was such a reliable car. It started so quickly and easily that the thieves were able to steal it with, well, a screwdriver. Um, and, um, well, it has returned. And this is maybe not news for my friends, uh, you know, people I talk to outside of the show. Of course, you're my friend as well. You're listening to the show. But people I do talk to regularly outside of the show, um, this may not be news to them, but I just didn't have time to talk about this with all of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb stuff leading up to the hill climb, the hill climb after the hill climb. I really was focusing on that. So I kind of want to share with you, the listener, um, well, that the, the AMC has returned and no sooner than it returned, then it went away again. It wasn't stolen. It wasn't stolen again. No, it wasn't. Um, but uh, the uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it here. Um, but the uh, police department, uh, Colorado Springs Police Department, gave me a call and they said, hey, we found your crusty, rusty Hornet. And um, if you pick it up in the next hour, we won't tow it. So I uh, I made haste and went down to where they were at and with my trailer and I picked up the car. It was uh, not running when I picked it up only because, by the way, the thieves left the headlights on. Come on, man. They left the headlights on and ran the battery down. I mean, come on. At least uh, if you're going to ditch the car, turn the headlights off. But anyway, so the thieves did that. And apparently not even the thieves wanted this Hornet, which uh, it just goes to show how stout and how robust of a car this is, how maybe crusty it was, too. They Not even the thieves wanted to hang on to this thing. They probably stole it thinking, yeah, this is an old car from the 70s. It's probably got a big V8. It's probably fast. No, they don't know anything about cars from the 1970s. And uh, clearly, they didn't know anything about cars, aside from the fact that you can you know, typically start them with a screwdriver. So um, that being said, they ditched the car. I got the car back. And uh, no sooner than that, than I, I traded the car. I 
I traded it. Yeah, why Why did I trade it? I, I gave it such a heartfelt eulogy. Uh, I'll play, uh, I'm coming up on a break here, but I'll play that, a little clip from that eulogy in case you missed it here on the other side of the break and tell you what exactly I traded the Hornet for. I don't usually talk about my own cars on this show, not a whole lot at least, um, And uh, but I'll tell you about this here and we're going to touch on all of those other amazing topics, Ford CEO, self-driving cars, causing havoc, all of the above. We're going to get to that right here on Automotive ADHD. And now for how things work with an engineer. Rotary engines. Regret. And that was how things work with an engineer. More of how things work can be found at facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Oh yeah, listen to those car sounds. Uh, those were sent from a friend of the show. You've heard him before, Josh Maldonado. And I'm playing his car sounds because uh, I, I want to share a uh, interesting thing that he sent in. So he, uh, his cousin rather, um, had a nice old school Impala that he sold recently. But get this, he sold it to none other than then Dr. Dre. Yeah. Musician. Yeah. That like that, that Dr. Dre. Yeah. So, um, the guy does headphones, I guess. No, <laughs> but he, um, he sold his uh, Impala to Dr. Dre and who came to pick up that Impala was none other than exhibit. So exhibit and Dr. Dre. Isn't that cool? Isn't that interesting? I, I think it's amazing when you have celebrities who are, automotive enthusiasts uh, who like cars, you know, who aren't even doing it for a rap video or this or that. No, no, they're just, it's their own personal car. I love that. I mean, some of my favorite celebrities with cars, obviously. I mean, uh, Jay Leno is, is, you know, no secret. He's a car guy. I mean, that's kind of, you know, what he does now. That's great. And also um, fans of Items with motors in them, you could say, you know, our, our, our two-wheeled friends. Um, Keanu Reeves, who has a uh, motorcycle collection. I know, I know. I think that's great. Uh, Dr. Dre obviously enjoys, I think, some uh, Impalas. I think that's uh, that's cool. I think those are fun cars. Uh, that fits the vibe, I think. That definitely fits the vibe. And uh, if you want to see pictures of uh, the Impala and Exhibit picking it up and all of that, uh, Josh was kind enough to send that into the Facebook page. I've got it posted up there. Check it out. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Also, by now, you probably know how this works, but you can send your car sounds into the show and I play them coming back from the breaks, which is really cool. So uh, you can do that at the same place. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. There's a pinned post at the top of the page. Check it out. Comment below with those car sounds. Um, of course, you can also email the car sounds to me as well. Matt at throttlewarrior.com. Uh, that works too, but I do recommend the Facebook page because that way you get to share it for everybody on there too. So uh, it kind of becomes a community thing. You should check that out. Now, uh, finishing up my story from the last uh, segment about one of my personal cars, sharing some of my personal life with you. Um, well, I, where, where we left off, the, uh, the Hornet, um, I got it back. Uh, the thieves didn't actually want it in the end. And uh, so no surprise, really. Uh, the Hornets uh, is an amazing car. In fact, too amazing for these thieves. Or maybe they ditched it because the heater didn't work. I don't know. Um, but I got the car back and I 
here's the thing. You know, I, I should have been jumping up and down with joy that I got my I got my Hornet back. I should have been doing that. And, and, and to a degree, I was. I was relieved that I, I had it back. But um, the thing is that I had, in my head, already written it off as is gone. It was dead. I, I read a eulogy for it. I, I put it to rest, at least in, in my own head. I came to terms with the loss of the Hornet and it coming back while it was an exciting uh, experience, a momentous experience. It was the resurrection of the Hornet. And I don't know, it was just a little awkward because, well, I had written this off as dead and it's sort of come back from the dead with half a steering column now and and uh, of all things, a uh, half-eaten cup of um, cup noodle, um, ramen noodles in the back seat. That was, I guess, what the thieves were snacking on while they were uh, driving this around. Make some cup noodle, I guess. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I'd written it off as dead. I'd moved on. And then here it was again. So I did the thing that any good person would do. And um, uh, uh, especially if a loved one had just returned from the dead uh, to greet them, I uh, put it up for sale on Facebook Marketplace. Um, and uh, I got a trade offer for it. No one actually wanted to pay me what I was asking for it, which was probably uh, a, uh, just a, a little too more, too much more than $600 or whatever I had it up for. But I got a wonderful trade offer for it, which was a 1989 Jeep Grand Wagoneer. Yes, uh, one crusty AMC product for another even more crusty AMC product. Yeah, if you uh, if you want to see pictures of this, I posted it actually a little while ago. Like I said, I just didn't have time to really talk about this on the show. You know, I was so focused on the hill climbing stuff. But um, it's a it's a wonderful machine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it whatsoever, except for the fact that reverse doesn't work. But basically, nothing else wrong. Also, the windows don't work. They don't go up and down. Uh, the seats are a little torn up. Um, uh, but you know what? It runs and it drives, except for reverse, obviously. But you don't need reverse. You're driving, you know, moving forward, right? Moving forward, going in uh, in a forward direction, looking to the future. We don't need reverse where we're going. <laughs> Just saying. So anyway, um, no, it's great. Also, it has a hole in the driver's side floor that is, um, it would be, I don't know. I, I don't think it would be right to call it a hole in the floor. It's more or less that the floor is not there. The entire floor is the hole. It's just the lack of floor. Um, this thing has some rust. In fact, somehow more rust than my Hornet had. But uh, it does have a V8, 360 cubic inches, uh, all 120 horsepower of 360 cubic inch V8, which uh, you can thank 1970s emissions emissions regulations for that. Uh, it actually runs great. Um, everything on it's good. The drive, well, not the transmission, but the engine's good. And this thing only has about 90,000 miles on the uh, on the well the the whole thing itself it's a very rusty ninety thousand miles but the engine is strong it's good I would I would even go as far to say that um, it's in great shape uh, mechanically uh, as far as the engine's concerned it's just that's how much power these had when they were new I mean this was a design that was uh, hampered by emissions regulations in the 1970s all the way through the 80s these wagoneers aside from some interior updates and things really remained unchanged there they didn't do anything to them this thing feels like a car well i even say the 70s but i mean the the actual you know heritage of the wagoneer and stuff i mean even goes back to the truck chassis uh jeep j10 i mean it's basically uh a truck it's basically an old school gladiator except with instead of a pickup bed it's a full suv uh, fully enclosed but i mean this is a car that was made in 1989 that's still carbureted 
and feels like a car from really the 1960s. It's amazing. You can jump into this car. Imagine when this was new. If you were longing for that that automotive experience of a car from the 1960s, if it was the mid-80s and you were fed up with all of this new technology in cars, fuel injection and, you know, electronic displays, you know, LCDs, at least early ones, um, stuff like that, um, you know, plastic, well, there's some plastic in the interiors, but overly plasticky interiors and all this stuff. If you were fed up with that and you said, you know what, they made them better in the 60s, they don't make them like they used to, you had this Wagoneer that you could have bought brand new and it still feels like a car from the 60s. And that's what I love about it. It's a, Honestly, it's amazing. Cars from the 60s were great. Were they great on gas? No. Were they reliable? No, not really. Not com- Look, people say, well, even with modern cars now, well, they don't make them like they used to. I don't know. When was the... It's. I don't think it was as often back in the 60s. I can't speak for it. I wasn't around in the 60s, but I know some of my listeners were, in fact. But um, cars didn't last 400,000, 500,000 miles where you have some modern cars, especially modern, uh, dare I say, Toyotas and things that will do half a million miles essentially on the original drivetrain with fairly little maintenance. There's always going to be little things. But I mean, we're just used to cars, too. You know, a good used car these days probably has 150,000 miles. But back in those days, the odometer on those cars didn't even go past 100,000 miles. It just rolled over at 99,999. So I don't know. I think... Cars have gotten better, technically speaking, but are they really better from an emotional standpoint, right? Like from how they look, how they feel, how they sound, how they drive. I don't know. Those old cars, I'm telling you, are just, there's something cool about them. This, that, there's reasons why Dr. Dre bought uh, Josh Maldonado's cousin's Impala. Um, there's reasons for that. Also a car of the same vintage, essentially. Uh, People want these old cars. Got to keep them on the road. They're easy to keep on the road. The saving grace here is they're easy to work on. Parts are typically cheap for them. And there's nothing complicated with them. And that's what I like about this Wagoneer, except for the fact that it's got this gaping hole in the floor. Well, it doesn't have a floor, okay? It doesn't have a floor. Let's just get that out of the way. Uh, I found that out when I sat down in the driver's seat and was driving it. This was not until like several days after I, I traded for it. I didn't even look at it. I bought it. I bought it in the rain, in the dark, and I just got it home. Didn't even look at it, and uh, that was about it. But I put my foot down kind of by the pedals, and I went, huh, that feels kind of squishy and weird, and I kind of pushed it a little harder, and my foot just kind of went through the carpet into the open. You can like Fred Fred Flintstone this car 100%. You just stick your feet out. So I got to deal with the floor. I got to deal with the floor. So what can I say? But hey, if you've got some uh, automotively misguided decisions and you want to share them, that's what the Facebook page is for. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. I don't always share about my own cars, but I, I'm enjoying telling you about my exploits with this great Grand Wagoneer that is falling apart in every way, shape, perform except the engine and hey the axles are actually pretty solid on it too they're uh, dana 44 is front and rear so i don't know i can't really lose money on that because worst case scenario i just parted out and put those axles in another one of my jeeps that doesn't run so hey win win right so don't go anywhere we're going to talk uh, not so much about my cars but we're going to talk about uh ford ceo doing some interesting things at least for a ceo also in the next segment i want to talk about porsche i didn't tell you about this earlier but uh there's some some interesting stuff with a few porsche products that you might want to know i'll tell you about it here in just a minute ladies and gentlemen the speed council proudly presents 
Automotive ADHD, now on video. For better or for worse, subscribe to Automotive ADHD now playing on YouTube and Rumble. And here we are rocking it for the third half of the Automotive ADHD show. Matt West here hanging out with you. Those car sounds were sent in from Landon. That was his Jaguar XJ6. Yes, I said Jaguar, like the British say, not Jaguar. Jaguar, Jaguar. I'll just keep mixing up the pronunciation of that so we have like an even amount of it. So that way no one's no one's offended. <laughs> but um, yeah, you could send those car sounds in like Landon did. He sent those to me um, on email, by the way, Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com. You can also opt to send them in on the Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD. And he sent, he sent in, by the way, a ton of sounds. So that's the first of many. He just shotgunned a bunch of amazing car sounds and hey, even some motor motorcycle sounds too so we love our two-wheeled brothers we do we definitely do around here but he also sent a really nice email and i thought it was worth reading it landon thank you he said that um uh, that he just started listening to the show in the past two weeks, and he has now listened to all of them, and uh, he works at a body shop in his state of uh, New York, by the way. So uh, isn't that cool? I, I, I honestly kind of feel bad for Landon because um, he's listened to more of my voice than I think anyone uh, should reason- reasonably be expected to put up with in, in a day. But Landon, hey, thank you for doing that. Thank you for sending those car sounds in. And... I want to congratulate you, Landon, on being this month's car sound winner. Yes, uh, drum roll on the desk here. But Landon, you're also not the only winner, too. So we have two winners. I had to I had to skip a month because of the craziness with the hill climb. So I'm making up for it. We have two winners. So Landon, of course, you are going to uh, before I announce the other winner. But Landon, you are going to get a automotive ADHD keychain you're going to get a sticker uh as heard on the automotive adhd show sticker and you're going to get a 25 dollars parts store gift card so hey that is great stuff and now the next winner will also be um awarded the same things uh for their car sounds and the next winner is patrick and his 1992 suzuki carry a k car by the way or k truck really um and i'm going to play his sound in the next segment so we're going to get to his sound but Patrick, I also want to let you know that you are a winner and you will be receiving keychain, sticker, and gift card all at once. So uh, that is very cool. Um, and of course, if you'd like to pick up one of the keychains, if you're watching on video, YouTube and Rumble, they look like this. I'll dangle them in front of the microphone so you can use your uh, imagination if you're on audio here. Um, they say automotive ADHD. They're embroidered nicely. They're a great way to fish. They're really, uh, I mean, really durable. They're a great way to fish your keys out of your pocket, though. I love that about them. And, you know, they, they, they tell people you've got questionable tastes in cars. So um, that's a, it's a dual purpose there. So uh, I'm thinking about soon setting up a way to sell these things. I got a lot of ways. Uh, if in case you don't want to send car sounds in or do any of that, that's fine. If you just want to pay money for them, I will exchange money for them. But I got to get that set up. We might even charge extra to include some greasy fingerprints on them as well. Um, that way, when you get it greasy, you don't feel bad. So uh, we'll see. That might be an extra an extra option there. We'll see about that. I will keep you updated with more uh, on the show here as we. Um, 
as we get closer to that. So um, also, thank you to my listeners for hanging tight with a somewhat inconsistent uh, upload schedule these past couple of weeks. But it is for a good cause, a cause for this show. Um, I am going to be doing some uh, additional things, expanding the show um and uh and this is really uh, i i can't say too much yet until i get everything set in stone but there is a strong possibility that the show is going to be on more than one radio station here in colorado so that's very cool that doesn't mean listeners on klzr are going to go anywhere show's still going to be there but uh it might be in some other places too so i've been uh, i've been hard at work behind the scenes making some things happen and i think uh, you're going to be really excited for this uh, i think it's going to benefit you the listener it's going to be great it's going to get the show in front of more people too so more news on that uh as we go on now um porsche Porsche, okay. I, I I promised I'd talk a little bit about Porsche, and uh, before we talk about how the Porsche 911 Dakar set a record on the Nurburgring, even though it's an off-road capable car, more on that in just a minute. Um, I got to talk about Porsche's ten thousand dollar accessory. And it's not even an accessory you put on your car. It's not an accessory you carry around with you. No, it is. A $10,000 sim racing wheel, a controller for all practical purposes, a video game controller. It's $10,000. It's got, look, it looks like every other video game controller. This thing might as well be made by, I don't know, Logitech or something, except it's got a Porsche badge on it and um, a little Porsche inscription at the bottom of it with the silhouette of a, of a 911. That's it. It's 10 grand. It's got some carbon fiber on it. I guess that's fine. It's 10 grand. Now, um, hat tip to Chris Rosales from The Drive for uh, for finding this and sharing to the world that Porsche has a video game controller that they'll sell you for um, $10,000. Are sim racing guys going to get offended that I call it a video game controller? Because it is a video game controller. It is a cool video game controller, I'll say. Um, I think I need to get into sim racing. That's a, that's a whole nother hobby, though. I've seen guys who've spent more money on their sim racing rigs than their actual cars. So, um, and we'll get to that with this sim racing wheel because, uh, I haven't scripted this or anything. I haven't done this ahead of time, but I'm going to pull up here, Facebook marketplace, uh, where I typically buy all of my terrible cars and or trade for cars. Um, we're going to go to Facebook marketplace here and, uh, and I'm going to look up some, uh, things that you could buy Porsche related items. You could buy for the same price as this, um, this video game controller, this Porsche branded video game controller. Here we go. Facebook Marketplace. I'm looking this up here for the first time. I'm just going to search Porsche. Porsche. Let's see what we get. Um, not porches. No, uh, Porsche. There we go. Um, <laughs> so here's a, uh, oh, let's see here. Looking through it. Looking through. Oh, all right. here we go. Here we go. Here's a good one. 1998 Porsche Boxster. Okay, looks like it's got some light modifications that could be a good or a bad thing if you're a Porsche guy. Porsche guys don't typically um, like buying modified cars, but it's got some wheels. It's got well, it's got tinted headlights. That's a that's a that's a big nope. I mean, come on, why would you make your headlights work less? Okay, I don't know, but it does have a price tag of seven thousand nine hundred dollars. Okay, I can stomach that. That is cheaper than the than the video game controller. Um, here we go. Here's a, uh, oh, let's see. Let's scroll down. A Porsche 924. $2,000 for a 924. Does it run and drive? Who cares? It's $2,000. Um, that's um, five of those. 
for the price of the Porsche video game controller. Uh, five of those for that. Here's a uh, 2006 Porsche Cayenne Turbo Sport. Yeah, why not have a Porsche? This is the SUV one, by the way. Why not have a Porsche that you can also take the kids, the family, and the dog in and still say that it, you drive a Porsche? Fair enough, right? Reliability on these, eh, it's not great. But you know what? This one's $5,500. So essentially two of these after tax with the steering wheel. I think you could get close to that price, almost two of them. Um, you know, maybe like 1.9 uh, Porsche Cayenne Turbo Sports about the same price um oh just a little more a really clean porsche 19 or a 1986 968 the 968 was the uh is is basically like the final uh oh this guy says well i was about to go into the history of the 968 now it's kind of like the 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 final of the uh the the body style of the porsche 944 kind of the best one different headlights Kind of weird. He says, nope, it's not a 968. It's a 944. Facebook just wouldn't let me put 944 in. So never mind. I'm not going to give you the history and the spiel of the 968. Never mind. It's a 944. It's very clean, though. Um, $12,000. So just a tiny bit more than that steering wheel. So you get the point. There's there's more listings here on Facebook Marketplace. Uh, here's another one. Another 06 Porsche Cayenne Sport uh, Turbo. $10,000. Exact same price. Moral of the story. You get the point I'm trying to make here. Um, uh, that's a nice three series, by the way. I'm just scrolling through Facebook Marketplace now. Um, anyway, um, I need to stop that because um, because I'm just going to do this and not the show. If I if I start scrolling through Facebook Marketplace, it's only a matter of time until I take something home with me that doesn't run. So uh, I'm going to close that right now for my sake and for yours. Um, but this steering wheel, can you believe it? Ten grand. Does it have any extra features? It's got buttons on it and stuff. It's got a Porsche badge on it. <sighs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I can't justify it. Not me. Sorry. Not when I could buy an actual Porsche. Um, you know, maybe not a nice one, but an actual uh, something else with a Porsche badge on it that might actually run and drive, which this video game controller is not doing any of that. So um, now speaking of Porsches, I got to move on to this. The Porsche 911 Dakar. Other cool Porsche. You probably are not going to buy this one for $10,000. Um, probably not. But it is a very cool car. I talked about it a few months ago on this show. I think it's a very exciting car. If you're not familiar with it, we'll get you up to speed. But it is essentially a 911 that is from the factory off-road ready. It is lifted. It's got off-road tires. It's got lights on it. It's got the cool, well, maybe the one you buy doesn't have the cool livery. The one Porsche's got and has been marketing has a cool livery on it. And it's a 911 that's built for off-roading. It's built for the um, the Dakar race, by the way, the off-road race, the famous off-road race. And I think this is truly the best Porsche on the market because you know, maybe you've got uh, a spouse who says, we don't need a we don't need a Porsche. We don't need a sports car in the family. We need something practical. Think about what happens if it snows. What happens if it snows? You know, we need it. It's got to be practical. OK, great. 911 all wheel drive off road ready 911. So you can have your port. You can have your sports car. It can be a Porsche. It's got a fairly practical uh, luggage compartment. It's a fairly comfortable car. The 911s are are remarkably great cars. Honestly, as dailies, I uh, I wish there were more people in the world who just dailied their 911s. If I had a 911, I think I would daily I would daily the crap out of that car. I'll tell you that. But um, 
That being said, this one's off-road ready. It's a rally-based 911, and it kind of harks back, in my opinion, to the the Porsche 959 from the 1980s, the legendary 959, the, for a period of time, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the fastest car in the world for a short period of time. I mean, you know, the manufacturers in those days were kind of leapfrogging each other to, for that title, but, but nonetheless, the 959 is a spectacular car. Famously, the car that Bill Gates imported and in doing so campaigned for the show and display law um, when it comes to um, getting uh, cars into the United States, at least legally, um, you know, and so I, I think that's the 959 is great. And the 959 was and many of you probably know this already, but the 959 was developed for racing. It was developed for specifically Group B rally. So in its original form, it was a rally car. It was an off-road Porsche. It even has a kind of granny low gear, uh, an extra gear that's extra low in the transmission for that purpose. And that's, I think, in a weird way, I think this 911 Dakar shares more heritage with the 959 than the current, you know, whatever top-end Porsche you want to pick is. I think it does that. And I think that's especially cool um, as someone who's a fan of off-road cars and sports cars, though I have neither an off-road sports car or I have I have both cars. I have off-road cars. I have I have a sports car, but I don't have something that does both. And I think that that would be um, exceptionally cool. Now, what is really interesting why I'm talking about the 911 Dakar now, because um, the car itself is old news. But the news now is that Porsche set a Nürburgring record with the 911. Um, the, the 9, this 911 Dakar set a time of 7 minutes 39 seconds, which, by the way, puts it ahead of the Bugatti Veyron, the Mercedes-Benz SLS AMG, uh, and probably a handful of other cars. And you're wondering, well, how did a, how did a rally-inspired, an off-road-inspired 911 set a better time than obviously better prepped sports cars. Well, that's the ticket though. It's off-road ready. They didn't follow the track. Yeah. So if you've ever played a video game, perhaps a driving video game with your $10,000 Porsche um, steering wheel, uh, you probably have just cut through the track before. You go, why do I need to follow the track? Uh, this is video game physics. This is the video game world. Damage does not apply to my car. I'm not even going to follow the track. I'm just going to cut through the course, into the grass, over the curbs, and just do that. Well, Porsche did that in real life with their <laughs> with the the 911, um, and it's just it, it's just a, an amazing uh, I think an amazing way to uh, to do this. So I I mean. Come on, you just cut through the course. They uh, they cut through some of the back roads around the Nurburgring. They cut through the grass. They went over the curbs with it. No limits at all on the track. Now, does it count as a real Nurburgring time? I, there's going to be critics. There, there's there's going to be those people who say no. I say yes. I say unequivocally yes. Because um, if this is now the standard that to get these Nürburgring times, you need to cut past the racetrack. That means in order to chase more of those times, which manufacturers love doing, that means they have to make more off-road equipped sports cars. That means they have to because no Ferrari's not making an off-road Ferrari. The, they're not. Lamborghini's not making an off-road Lamborghini. And the Lamborghini Urus, the SUV thing, doesn't count. 
That doesn't count for anything. It's an SUV. No, I want a sports car. I want a low, well, maybe not as low as the, you know, regular ones, but a lower to the ground, aerodynamic, sleek, two-door sports car that is designed for off-road. Now, because it's designed for off-road, I will accept it being all-wheel drive, though typically I, I believe a sports car should be rear-wheel drive, obviously. But I will, I will make a concession to my principles here in this case that it can be all-wheel drive. Imagine that. Ferrari goes to chase this record. They make a brand-new Ferrari that looks like a Ferrari should, that's all-wheel drive, that has a V12 or something. Well, they're doing their turbo eights now, but come on, a V12, a V12, that's what we need. Um, that would be amazing. If manufacturers start chasing times in this fashion, I wouldn't have a complaint with uh, a complaint with that. And honestly, this is a, I can't say I'm the biggest Porsche guy around. I don't own a Porsche. I, I once set Wesley Kagan's Porsche on fire. Um, that's a different story. That's a story for another day. That's a, that's, that's a story for another day. I once set his, uh, his Porsche on fire, but, um, no, I'm not, I can't claim that I'm a Porsche guy, but I do like some Porsche models that are out there. I do think that if you're going to actually have a practical sports car and you're going to daily a sports car and you want it to be relatively reliable, Porsche probably makes one of the more reliable supercars in the world. You know, I, I think they do that compared to Lamborghini and uh, compared to, um, you know, Ferrari. And of course, Lamborghini is just expensive Volkswagen now at this point. So I, you know, whatever. But um, no, I, I think that it's up to you, Porsche guys. You know, it is up to you to buy more of these 911 Dakars. These are going to be a limited run. They're not going to do a lot of them. But Porsche has demonstrated that they will listen to their audience. They will listen to their buyers, especially when it comes to like manual cars. They got rid of the manuals. Well, everyone started trying to flip their manual Porsches for huge profits and Porsche didn't see that money. So they decided in a rare instance of judgment to quote unquote, listen to their customers. No, they just wanted, they just wanted to make the money instead. But um, because their customers were doing that, they brought back the manuals. Um, that needs to be the case with this 911 Dakar. This can't be a special edition that they only make a few hundred of and that in 20 years goes up on whatever future version of Bring a Trailer exists uh, because, ooh, it's a special 911 Dakar. They only made a few of these. It's a million dollars. No, this is an off-road 911 and it should be treated as such and it should be driven as such. People who buy this because it's a rare limited production 911 aren't going to go take it back in the woods and go rally it on a weekend. They're not going to do that because it's rare. Porsche guys, you, I'm not saying me, but you, because you're the guys who buy these cars new. Do you think I'm going to walk into the dealer and buy this new? Of course not. No, that Porsche dealer doesn't want anything to do with me. Um, I rely and perhaps many other enthusiasts rely on guys who do buy these cars new to buy them in the first place for us to then get them secondhand, you know, uh, with a little bit of use, a little bit of mileage on them. We rely on the guys to buy them new and the guys who are buying these new need to buy, need to need to stomp up and down and 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 complain that Porsche is not making more of these off-road 911s. That's what needs to happen because we need more of these. This needs to not be a rare car. This needs to be an off-road 911 that you can buy and go treat it like an off-road 911. Plain and simple. Um, obviously, you can go on Facebook Marketplace here, and for the price of one or two Porsche steering wheels, uh, video game steering wheels, you could probably buy a used 911 and then go modify it for an extra cost of a video game steering wheel controller um, and modify it to be off-road. I get that you could do that, but come on, this is one you can buy with a warranty from the factory. It looks cool. It's ready to go. I'm just saying. 
I'm just saying, Porsche guys, this is up to you. The future is in your hands. So, hey, that's all I have time for in this segment, but there are still more segments of the show. There's more time to go. So uh, don't go anywhere. After the break, I'm going to talk about my experience with the new F-150 Lightning. Do I have to resign as host of this show to have this opinion that I have? Maybe. I'll tell you about it right here in just a minute. In these trying times, the Speed Council needs your support. Well, mostly your money. All right, just the money. Join our Patreon today at thespeedcouncil.org to get exclusive benefits when you support Automotive ADHD. There we go, all three cylinders of fury in Patrick's 1992 Suzuki Carry. 660 cc's, by the way, a true K vehicle per the Japanese uh, spec. A K car, of course, is is a vehicle that's got, uh, in Japan, it's a classification for vehicles that fall into a certain uh, d- engine displacement range, uh, 660cc max. They're little baby tiny cars, and that's a little tiny Suzuki carry with, I, I don't know, I think those are great. K cars are uh, are the best, and uh, I think we need more of those. So, uh, Patrick, thank you for sending those car sounds into the show. Um, all right, I got a couple more things to get to here in the last half of the show. And I, I got to go quick because I spent so much time yakking about Jeep Wagoneers and other things. I got to get to these topics, though. Um, I promised I would talk about the new Toyota Land Cruiser. Um, the Land Cruiser is back. It didn't technically leave, but I think the Land Cruiser is back in spirit because the Land Cruiser we had previously was really a Lexus, and it was a big SUV, and I don't know. Land Cruiser's always been a big SUV, I guess. I'm getting ahead of myself, but a Land Cruiser to the spirit of the old Land Cruisers that everybody loves, that everyone loves to go onto Facebook Marketplace and spend way too much money on, by the way. Uh, you know, 100 million miles on it. No low ballers. I know what I have. It's uh, it's a Toyota. These things last for forever, they say. Um, I know. I see posts like that a lot. People neglect to mention that. Okay, well, there's there's some durable aspects of the Toyota, the the Toyota design. The engines are remarkably durable for how much maintenance you have to put into them, which isn't a lot. But there are things at a certain range of mileage that you do have to replace. Like, come on, suspension stuff, ball joints, wheel bearings. And you see these ones with literally a million miles and people are asking tens of thousands of uh, dollars for them um, saying that, well, they run for forever. So I'm going to ask basically what the thing was sold new, what it was sold as new. No, there's other mate. Yeah, it might run for a million miles, but there is other maintenance you do have to do. But that being said, we all know that Toyota can do no wrong. I've I've discussed this at length. This is a position that that I stand by. Uh, that listeners of this show know that I stand by, and I will continue to stand by it. And of course, I will continue to stand by that. In my opinion, here of the new Land Cruiser, which is based on the kind of international chassis that that Toyota is using in a number of their products. It is based on the chassis that the new Tundra is based on, that the new Tacoma is based on, that some other uh, international models are based on. But, you know, so that that's a good thing, for one. That's a good thing. It seems like Toyota's put a lot of development into this chassis design. Uh, and of course, they want to get as much mileage out of it as possible, use it underneath 
the most number of vehicles they have, and that's a good thing. Um, I mean, even for the Tacoma, this new chassis design they have goes from a partial box frame with C-channel in the back to a full box frame. That's cool. I like that. It ditches leaf springs. It goes to not independent suspension, but coil a multi-link uh, coil spring setup. So with a solid axle in the rear and an independent front. So I, there's there's some benefits here. There are. And most importantly, though, this is really what counts. Um, the new Land Cruiser just looks cool. It looks like previous not the previous gen, but the previous, previous, previous gen of Land Cruiser. It's got this boxy look, this meaty looking front end, you know, this old school kind of look, these these fender, these wide fenders that, you know, invoke sort of a, a feeling of the old series Land Cruisers. And um, I think that's great. I mean, look at how Jeep is selling Jeeps right now. They're selling tons of Jeeps. Ford is selling tons of Broncos. And Toyota's competitor here, really, uh, if you ignore the fact that the certain model of Lexuses out there are basically international market Land Cruisers, except with Lexus badges on, if you ignore that generation, uh, Toyota doesn't have much. Yes, they've got the Tacoma, they've got the Tundra, you got your TRD options, but you don't have an SUV version that's really all that equipped. Yeah, you can get the Sequoia SUV, I guess. Sure, that's fine, but... Land Cruiser. It is back. It is back in exactly how it should be. Now, it is only available in a hybrid drivetrain. Now, Toyota's chassis platform is capable of being hybrid and not hybrid. You can get a hybrid version of the Tacoma. You can get a non-hybrid version. You can get a hybrid version of the Tundra, a non-hybrid version of the Tundra. I think the new Tundra, by the way, is great. Um, if I had $70,000 to spend on a pickup truck, which is way too much money for a pickup truck, I could consider spending it on that, though I don't think I would out of principle because that's just too much money to spend on a pickup truck, in my opinion. But the hybrid version's cool. Uh, it's fine. It gives you more torque. It gives you more power. All for that. More power is a win. Um, but um, that being said, the the new um, Land Cruiser is uh, is uh, is only coming with that hybrid drivetrain. You're not getting a non-hybrid version of it, which is fine because it's going to be a good one. A again, it, t it ticks off all the boxes. It ticks off the looks. It, it ticks off the, you know, it's going to be a reliable drivetrain. We just know that it's Toyota. They've spent a lot of time developing this chassis, developing this drivetrain. And in true Toyota fashion, they're probably going to take some flack for it in 10 years because it's going to be the same drivetrain uh, and chassis. It's going to be the same. Toyota spends a lot of time doing the R&D, getting everything really right. They're not really that innovative when it comes to new features and new designs, but they are reliable with it. So, yeah, here, uh, when I'm sitting here doing the show, and I don't know why I'm checking my watch to look at the year. It doesn't have the year on it. But when I'm sitting here doing the show in uh, 2033, I guarantee Toyota is still going to be using this chassis. That's what they do. That is exactly what they do. Um, but... Is that a bad thing? No, not at all. If you buy Toyotas, this is why you buy Toyotas. This is precisely why you buy a Toyota, because um, because of the fact that you don't want all the bells and whistles, but you want it to be reliable and you want it to be durable. Great. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Good job, Toyota, on the new Land Cruiser. It's going to be really good. Um, now, Toyota does say that the 4Runner is not going anywhere with the new Land Cruiser, um, which makes sense. You know, people worry, well, you got the Land Cruiser, you're competing with your your 4Runners, aren't you? You know, right? Not really. I mean, if you think back to, you know, previous eras of great Land Cruisers, they were sold side by side, you know, at least through the 
say the 1980s and the 90s, uh, you know, were sold side by side with the Forerunners, or of course for my uh, international friends, the Toyota Hilux Surfs. Yeah. I don't know. It's cooler saying Forerunner. Uh, the Hilux, though, I mean, nationally, internationally uh, respected uh, platform, whether it's the Forerunner variant or the or the pickup truck variant. Uh, my first car was a uh, 88 Forerunner. So first gen Forerunner. Um, so, you know, there I, I do have a soft spot for them. Um, but the, uh, the Land Cruiser is probably going to be they haven't really released any real pricing on these things. But the Land Cruiser they're estimating it to be over $55,000, $56,000. What that's actually going to be uh, out the door, um, nobody knows. But um, that being said, they've always been more expensive than the Forerunners. So I don't think the Forerunner is going to go anywhere. I really don't think they are. The Forerunner is going to be kind of an entry-level variant of, well, not a variant, it's a different car, but it's going to be the entry-level po- point of this, and the Land Cruiser is obviously going to be the more premium option here. So um, anyway, um, does this mean that the new Forerunner is going to eventually come out with a new chassis, the same chassis, the same development, all of this? Yeah, the Tundra's got the same sort of platform, the uh, Tacoma's got the same sort of chassis platform. Uh, the new Land Cruiser now has the same thing. Um, it's only a matter of time for the Forerunner to get that because the Forerunner, by the way, is relatively, mechanically speaking, been unchanged for, you know, more than 10 years. So, like I said, Toyota does that. That's just uh, that's just what they do. Um, so I'm excited to see this, though. Uh, there's also going to be a Lexus version of this. Doesn't look nearly as cool. Fight me on that. It looks a little bit like like a Predator alien with the grill and the way its face looks. Uh, it would it would make a great cameo in a in an alien movie um, and uh, in in any form of sci-fi movie. Really, it would be a terrifying vehicle to just stumble across out of nowhere. Uh, I don't like the way the Lexus looks. The Land Cruiser, though. It's got the they're built. They're both the same car. Technically, yes, they're the same platform. You can tell they share some body panels, doors, fenders, but the front end, uh, uh-uh. not about it with the Lexus. Not about it at all. Um, you're paying more money for an uglier car and well, it's more luxurious. I don't know. These new Toyotas are pretty luxurious. Leather interiors, heated seats, steering wheel, um, all of the bells, literally all of the bells and whistles that you want in that Lexus. This Toyota is going to have, and it just looks better. End of story. So, um, moving on here to some other things, cause I gotta, I gotta get through this here quick. Um, cause I'm running out of time, but I really want to tell you about the F-150 Lightning, uh, how Ford's CEO, Jim Farley, um, recently hit the road in an F-150 Lightning, and um, he he discovered that, well, it's um, the charging system's not very good. It's not very good right now. Um, Yeah, sure, Ford makes a nice truck with the Lightning, but he said um, that he, uh, he said, quote, that charging has been, quote, pretty challenging. And uh, he also said the issues he ran into, quote, were a really good reality check. Imagine this, a CEO who drives a car made by the company they're a CEO of. Does the CEO of, I don't know, uh, Chevy, does the CEO of Stellantis, whatever the heck that is, obviously, Ford, Chrysler, or sorry, not Ford, I misspoke there. Um, Sorry, that would be Chrysler, Fiat, Jeep, Dodge those guys. Um, do you think the CEO of that drives a, you know, 
like a town and country minivan just to make sure they're getting a good experience for the customers? <laughs> I don't think so. So I'll give props to um, CEO Jim Farley here, Ford CEO Jim Farley. Uh, I'll give props to him on that. Um, and that that is an issue with these electric cars. Uh, you know, that's a, that is a glaring issue is the charging system. Um, there have been over the past year or more, there have been lots of complaints about some of the certain charging networks that are available. Um, the Tesla networks, people seem to have good success with them from EV owners I've talked to um, and and folks like you know who actually do this stuff out in the wild with these EVs. Tesla stuff usually is pretty good, but a lot of the other third-party chargers have been really unreliable. They've been broken. Um, they would say, you know, one out of every three would be working when they would get to a charging location. These are all problems that the EV industry has to deal with. And Ford, um, having their previously, at least, not having their stuff use the Tesla network, um, showed that as a problem. Now, Ford also is kind of the first to jump on the Tesla network as another auto manufacturer. This is something that I think benefits Ford greatly. It benefits Ford owners and it benefits Tesla, obviously, because they're getting money out of this whole deal and their charging network is really stable and it's really good. So anyway, I think um, with the lightning, you know, so great. Yeah. Jim Farley drove drove a lightning. He said the charging network sucked. That's why they're partnering with Tesla to um, provide Ford drivers. They say access to the, all the Tesla superchargers, which is going to roll out soon. It's not like right away. It's like they don't just flip a switch. But from what it sounds like, there's going to be um, a software update and an adapter. Or some they're going to they're going to work out how to make this work for existing lightning owners. And presumably it's just going to be integrated into new ones that roll off the production line in the future. Uh, now, I talked about this at the top of the show. I have a uh, I had a recent experience with an F-150 lightning. In fact, a family member of mine purchased an F-150 lightning and I will say, I will say, I won't retract every statement I have made ever about the F-150 Lightning. Um, okay, maybe, maybe all of them. It actually did surprise me. It really did surprise me because um, it's, uh, well, like many EVs, it's remarkably comfortable. Well, it's quiet, obviously. I don't know how much you value quietness, but I don't value it a ton when I'm driving, but it's comfy. You know, you're cruising, you're listening to your music. That's great. Um, it's fast for a pickup truck because this said family member of mine, um, bought the lightning and then the day after they bought it they took it to the drag strip and raced it not many lightning owners doing that um and it was pretty much at least in the this was an eighth mile drag strip to clarify it wasn't a quarter mile drag strip so in eighth mile drag strips evs really excel because they have all-wheel drive most often they have torque and that that the fact that they don't have that high-end horsepower of like a high-end high horsepower car um, in those top speeds, they're they're going to run out of steam, you know, once you start getting deep into the triple digits, obviously. Um, those are factors that don't really matter in an eighth mile drag race. They don't. Um, you know, I think it surprises some people that there are eighth mile tracks out there. There are. A lot of people are used to the quarter mile ones. There are eighth mile tracks out there. And EVs just crush it in those eighth mile tracks. They just do. Um, but I will say I was pleasantly surprised with um, obviously how quick it was, though it is heavy. That's the trade-off. It's quick, but when you got to stop this thing, it weighs nearly 10,000 pounds. Holy smokes, that's a lot for a truck that's not like a full ton, you know, one ton truck or anything. It's not. It's kind of a, you know, it's a smaller, lighter duty truck. That's a lot of weight for it. Um, I also will say, and I'm, I'm running out of time here, but I will say that one of the things I found very nice about the F-150 Lightning is it shares a ton of parts with the regular F-150. 
That's something that the, you know, EV GMCs and Chevy Silverados and the EV Hummer and even the Rivians, talking about all the electric trucks out there, they don't they don't do that. They don't share parts with the commonly available cheap version of that platform. They don't. So in 10 years, oh, you got a, into a fender bender and you need a fender for your F-150 Lightning or you need a door. They're going to be in junkyards everywhere from all the regular F-150s too. Um, interior parts, um, you know, different pieces of trim. Obviously the drivetrain, none of that stuff's going to make convert over. Though to me, it seemed like the drivetrain, um, the suspension on this thing, it has a custom bespoke kind of uh, independent rear suspension setup, but the front suspension looks just like heavier duty F-150 stuff. Maybe it was even lifted out of like the control arms and the springs and stuff. Maybe even are out of a F-250 just because you got this extra weight to consider. So I, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it. I, I actually really liked it. Uh, I think an F-150 or a pickup truck is a great candidate for an electric car. I don't think sports cars can ever be electric because they need to be engaging. And to do that, you need to have a manual transmission and some sort of uh, either high revving or boosted engine one or the other, NA, high revving, boosted, otherwise, whatever. Um, but that being said, trucks are great candidates for this right now because you want to prioritize torque. Um, trucks benefit from the lower center of gravity. The F-150 Lightning handles actually quite a bit better than a regular F-150. So the lower center of gravity with the battery pack being down low and all of that stuff, I think trucks very much benefit from that. Currently, right now, power, uh, energy density, you got to get range when you're towing. Everyone, I will say, I'll play devil's advocate here. Everyone complains that, well, you tow with an EV pickup truck and and it doesn't tow nearly as far. Um, you know, you run out of charge. Well, yeah, that same thing happens with a diesel or gas pickup truck. Your fuel economy goes down when you tow. So your efficiency with an electric one, yeah, obviously it goes down when you tow as well, but it doesn't seem to go down proportionally uh, like it would with a... Um, uh, well, I can't say proportionally. There's a lot of factors, wind resistance, weight, all these different things that go into it. But uh, it does seem to reduce efficiency a little bit more than a gas vehicle or a diesel vehicle with the same load right now. Energy density, we got to work on that for EV trucks to really be good. Um, uh, charging times on them are getting better. That's good. Um, but if you're towing 10,000 pounds and your effective range is 65, 70 miles, that's not very good. But We'll see. We'll we will see where this goes. Do I have to hand in my keys, my credentials as the host of this show because it is it is my sworn duty to to bash EVs? Um, maybe I do, but uh, if I do, they get this nice keychain on them. By the way, that you know you can get. So uh, check <laughs> check that out. I don't know. Um, I I'll stand my ground on the sports car debate with EVs. I think, and I've said this before. I'm being consistent with my opinions that EV trucks are uh, uniquely. Uh, good in many in many aspects and that's where there's a whole debate I've made on this show before and I will probably make again on that we should just be allowed to pick and choose whatever works for our application and that obviously helps us create an energy diverse society we're not um, we're not you know committed to just one thing or the other that just makes sense it's ridiculous that governments try to regulate this sort of thing but anyway there you go I got a lot of I, there's a lot of stuff I didn't get to in this show so what you got to do if if you want to catch more of the show, you can find it, of course, uh, on the podcast. There's all sorts of great episodes with uh, Pikes Peak Hill Climb drivers, uh, interesting guests. Uh, of course, you can uh, find the show wherever fine shows and this one are downloaded. You can uh, find it on uh, Facebook. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Rumble. Lots of great ways to catch a show, catch the show rather. So don't 
miss a second of it. And I will see you right here, same time, same place, next week. I'll see you then.